0: And the Apple's Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman podcast, featuring your host Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and this come to die.
1: Stay tuned. Be right there. Oh yeah, what's up everybody? Welcome to the Lone Gummin Podcast. This is your host Rob Clark. This is episode number 148 and I've got a great guest for you returning to the show. It's been a while. I bet everybody thought something happened to this dude unless of course you're listening to him on another radio show but he's back here today with me Mr. Carmine Savastano. How you doing buddy?
2: I'm doing good, man. Good to be back on the Lone Government Podcast.
1: Oh, man. It's been a while since I heard that voice on here. <laughs> what you been up to, man?
2: <laughs> uh, you know, the usual. Diving in and trying to have a look at some of the new JFK files and, you know, looking into the RFK and i cases when I get a chance.
1: Yeah, I was slacking at the beginning of the year a little bit. Getting in that little funk. But I'm back out of it now. Getting back in the swing of things.
2: Oh, I understand. It can get, you know... Everything when you're looking at so much different stuff and trying to put everything together it can get tedious. You need to break every once in a while.
1: Yeah, I've got all these podcasts going. I might be spreading myself a little too yeah. thin, but uh, <laughs> we'll see how it's going. We'll see how it's you're
2: going. getting it done. That's a good I, thing.
1: I'm trying to get it done. Yes, it's it's uh, it's a busy life, but uh I'm enjoying myself. So that's all that matters, right? Yep. Sweet. So, Carmine just to remind everyone is the proprietor of the Neapolis media group, which can be found where
2: Uh can be found at, uh, TPOC.com, uh, under the NMG section. And that's, uh, uh, you can also find the, uh, primary evidence collections where we have a big offering of evidence there. Uh, you can find my book, two princes and a king. um, and they can also locate your website, uh, Chuck Ocelli's website for the Ocelli effect. Um, you can look at debunked blog. We, we have a whole bunch of different resources people can look at. You know, you can check out our uh, recommended play page where you can see the Mary Farrell Foundation, the Assassination Archives Research Center, and uh, the National Archives because, as you know, there's a ton of stuff coming out, and we're probably going to have to wait another few years to get any more, but you know, we've got millions of pages still we've got to go through. So. Oh,
1: I knew that. So yeah, if you if you're interested in the subject of the JFK assassination, the RFK assassination, the MLK assassination, highly recommend TPAAK.com. dot com. It's a it's a very broad and I guess easy for beginners to kind of step in and get their toe wet and kind of figure out what's going on. Um, I would say, I mean, and especially yeah. re, re, reading your book as well. Your book is laid out really good for for people that are new to the case to, to get an understanding of it.
2: Thanks. Yeah, no, that was you know I was hoping to, to yeah to, to act as almost a primer, just to to get people involved you know to see and let them come to their own judgments. That's why I have the multiple like as you know I try I tried to offer some possible names, but I didn't set anything in stone because we we shouldn't. You know, no, we don't I mean, have that it's still a fluid evidence.
1: situation going on, you know,
2: exactly. And there's still so much evidence that's being withheld. I mean, even after they dumped a good almost 100,000 files, you know, 80, 100,000 files on us in the last year, there's oh, still yeah, so much like more. A, to be...
1: It's like a bottomless pit, man. Stuff just keeps coming and coming and coming. And, and. But, I mean, really, not a whole lot new and definitely no smoking guns. So we're still no. doing
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the occasional the occasional gem, but yeah, unfortunately, what it seems to be is, uh, I remember, I can't remember, uh, we might have been talking about it, but I can't, I can't remember. I probably had the conversation a couple of times, but I remember having the conversation of they basically had two methods that they could do to try to block progress in this case. Officials did one was give us nothing, which doesn't work because then there's a huge public outcry and you're basically just lending credence to it. So. Give us too much, I think, is what they're doing. Yeah. Just re-releasing the same things, except this time with redaction, so it looks a little different. Like, you know, just the controversy – and think of all the fake controversies that were started. Like I remember having a conversation over uh, the uh, – there was that one thing they released, which was uh, Richard Helms' testimony, which is, I believe, the church commissioner of the House Select Committee. and. The testimony cut off right where it said, "Is Oswald a CIA agent?" And people like Alex Jones and the media went nuts. They're like, "Oh my god, you know, it cuts off." It, you know, they didn't want us to know what the real answer is. Well, the real answer is that I believe it was Rex Bradford, the Mary Farrell Foundation, let out was that stuff's been available in full for a while. So yeah. we know what the answer is. It, it, and honestly, did you did you really think Helms was going to be like, "Oh yeah, he works for us. <laughs> yeah. He's an agent." <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> no.
1: Definitely not going to happen.
2: And what's hilarious is he later got charged with perjury by Congress. (laughs) So that guy definitely wasn't going to tell us the truth.
1: No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, the way that they've been doing the release, I don't think is necessarily unintentional. I think maybe somebody in the chain... Wants them. I mean, you can see, too, that as where, you know, we get lucky with places like the Mary Farrell Foundation or the Assassination Archives Research Center or the Weisberg Archives, usually it's just a single document with a number, you know, riff number that you can go off of. So it's fairly easy to track. Well, what they're doing is releasing like entire files. So it's a two, three hundred page document of just dozens of different files that should have different numbers, but they're all under one number.
1: Yeah, and what pisses me off is if you go to NARA and look at these new
2: releases and everything, you
1: you have no idea what is in there until you actually
2: click on the PDF and look at it. Exactly, not searchable like Mary yeah, Farrell. They had
1: 25 years just to set this shit up and classify everything and, and you know do it in a decent manner that could at least be titled so mm-hmm. you know what's in the file, if not searchable, like you said. Which would be ideal. Which, thankfully, the vault dot com is doing to the new files. They're making them searchable. So, yeah, you know, if it wasn't for them undertaking this, you know, crazy thing, um, you know, it wouldn't even be possible to search them. You'd have to go through one by one to try to find that needle in a haystack.
2: Yeah, we're really lucky to have, you know, places like the Black Vault, like Mary Farrell, that, that will go in and do the technological work that's needed to make it a lot easier. Because otherwise, what I've been doing and what I assume everyone else has been doing is one at a time. Yep. You know, just next, next. you get discouraged <laughs> and you say, all right, files.
1: screw this. I ain't Take doing a this break.
2: no more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know me, I'm a sucker for, I'm a glutton for punishment, so I haven't said <laughs> that yet.
1: To <laughs> so keep flogging yourself on the back with that, with that stick.
2: Uh Well, in some of them, you know, I really do think as you get more familiar with them, you learn that you can just skip over some, too, because some are – like, for instance, card files and stuff like that. Unless yeah. you think that's going to be the magical one that has a line you're looking for, a lot of it is just notations and – yeah not to say that, you know, there's not going to be gem yeah. occasionally, but for the most part, yeah.
1: Thank you, sir. May I have another?
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow, I really enjoyed reading about – the or that's another thing that annoys me is when they do multiples of the se- – so it's like – Okay, same oh, document, no. same document. <laughs> what is
1: up with that? Like, you get, okay, you get three different pages, and then it repeats itself three more times for a total of, like, yeah. 15 pages in a file, but it's duplicated five times. There's three pages. It's like, what's yeah. the point?
2: Exactly. Oh. Wasting time, apparently. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> anyway, Carmine. Okay, we... anyway, yeah, sorry. but <laughs> I hope everybody doesn't mind that we went off a little no. bit there on uh
1: we needed to get that off our chest for sure.
2: Yeah. Um, but I do think that there is some decent – like there's been some good cryptonym information that, you know, Bill just found a ton of them. John Newman, uh, Jefferson Morley found that one the other day, and Richard Gibson. Did you hear about that yet?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah.
2: yeah. So Gibson, that's another – you know, it's. I think it's hilarious because I was actually – I think it was Matthew Shuffley that put up something on social media and Steve Rowe commented, and we all agree that it's crazy that there was no other press besides what Jefferson Morley put out on that. Like, this is another CIA connection. This is another person who's molding Oswald into the Patsy that has a definite CIA connection, another journalist.
1: Yeah. And we all know about Operation Mockingbird, and they just keep coming, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, so we've got him. We've got Priscilla Johnson McMillan that we discussed on uh, the last show. We've got, uh, what's his name, Ed Butler at Inca. So, I mean, how many connections are required until we have officials or people who might not agree with the idea of a conspiracy that this is becoming more realistic and now the evidence is turning. It isn't the clear case that officials had when so much was hidden. Now that so much has been released, I think things are turning, The the you know, the... the the weight of history is turning towards conspiracy.
1: For sure. I mean, people always speak about showing up a preponderance of evidence. Well, will hear it, comes, mm-hmm. people.
2: Yeah, and it's getting stronger. And I yep. think that's why you see that uh, not everyone. I like I said, Steve Rowe and others that you've had on here. I think that though we might not agree on conspiracy, they're reasonable people. I like to have conversations with them. I think that they contribute good research, even though we might disagree. But you have another wing. Of people who support officials that are basically just out there trolling, just right. saying, "still, still, you know, it's crazy, you're kooks." You know, the, you know the basic lines that have been said ever since the sixties. Right.
1: And people like Steve and Fred, you know, they're they're they don't just dismiss everything out of hand. They're they're willing to be convinced. Yeah. But just right now, they're not convinced of of, of a conspiracy. But given the right evidence, they could easily yeah. say, "Okay." You know, it's just people like that are in search of the truth of what happened. They're just unconvinced at this point of a conspiracy.
2: Well, and we also have, unfortunately, like we've discussed before, people like Baker and the Myth Makers yeah, who are out there poisoning own. the well. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're making people like Fred and Steve not want to hear what anyone has to say who supports a conspiracy because they have people spouting ridiculous things all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, they do. Uh, and it just <laughs> doesn't stop. You know, it doesn't stop, but Hey, look, fighting I, on two fronts. Yeah. Now the reason I wanted to have you on the show, um, well, you're Italian, you know, and, <laughs> nice. uh, you, you might be connected, with I don't know. Um, but if you are, I'm glad I know you, you know,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> as my, my not know. used to tell me the mafia doesn't exist. Tell your friends, <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
1: but yeah, I wanted to talk about something that I've never ever talked about on this show before. And that would be the whole mafia conspiracy concerning, surrounding the JFK assassination. And the reason I've never talked about it before, it can get a little confusing. And I'll admit, I dismissed it out of hand a long time ago. Okay, Mm But, uh, let me put this caveat out there the whole catalyst for me wanting to do this show was another podcast that I heard and it, anybody can go out there and listen. It's called mafia and it's, it's made by the people over at audio boom, which is a podcast network, but you can listen to the show mafia. I believe it's on iTunes stitcher, anywhere you can hear, you know, podcasts. So I would recommend that everybody who hears the show and wants to learn more head over to, or just find the show Mafia on, a, on any podcast place and give the episode about Sam Giancana a listen. <laughs> uh, it's very, very interesting. And when we're talking about organized crime, I mean, we all know, you know, the, the basics. You know, we know that um, Bobby Kennedy was going after them hard when the FBI wouldn't, um, back in the early '60s, you know, we've all seen the tapes of him going after Hoffa, in the in the Senate hearings, and going back and forth, and he was trying to nail him to the wall. Now, what's odd about that is, of course, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI weren't really concern, too concerned about what the Mafia was doing back then. Now, of course, people speculate, you know, well, maybe the Mafia had some dirt. On uh, J. Edgar Hoover, and uh, I believe part of that probably is true. Um, compromising photographs, for instance, um, which I've heard actually existed um, from people that claim to have seen them, but of course, we'll never see them, we'll never know. Um, but when we're talking about the JFK assassination, there's several prominent mafia figures that we want to kind of figure into the mix here. The first one being Santo Traficante, the mafia Don of the, you know, the Florida area, Miami, Um, Tampa. Yeah. Tampa. He had a lot of interests in Cuba before kind of uh, Castro took over and eliminated all of the gambling businesses uh, Castro even put him in prison in Cuba. Um, you know he was in he was in prison with people like Lauren Hall and Alexander Rourke and uh, what's the, what's that guy's name that was doing wiretaps
2: for the the uh, Robert Mayhew?
1: No, he was doing wiretaps for the CIA. He, t- he oh man, damn it! What was his name? Christian.
2: Sorry, I don't know. David Christ. Oh, David. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, David Christ. Yeah, he was the head of, yeah, I believe the technical services division at one point. Right.
1: So you have the guy that that basically (laughs) wired the the, the U.S. Embassy in Mexico for sound. You have a mercenary and you have a CIA pilot all in prison with Santos Traficante at the same time. And you have stories of Jack Ruby, you know, going down to Cuba and possibly visiting Santo Trafficante in prison. Okay. And then you have all of these anti-Castro Cuban activities going on around southern Florida. And all the mercenaries kind of hanging out down there in southern Florida. Um, so then we move over to Louisiana where we have Carlos Marcelo who's the Don of the southern part there, Louisiana, Texas, things like this. And he's very close to New Orleans, which happens to be where Oswald spent some time. He has definite connections to people like David Ferry and G. Ray Gill. And then we move on to Chicago, where we have Sam Giancana, who who actually liked to think that he helped his but old buddy Joe Kennedy to get his son elected uh, president. And, of course, there was some problems with some females that, that may have been shared between JFK and Sam Giancana. Um, but listening to that mafia show, it, it's pretty convincing that they were pissed after the election when they had helped... JFK get elected, and then here comes Bobby Kennedy, you know, with a hard on after all these organized crime guys. They were not happy, Carmine.
2: No, I definitely agree that they weren't happy. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree with what the show proposed as being the answer—that they are likely suspects to for the murder of JFK based on that. But I definitely think that Bobby Kennedy's prosecution of them, and I think that. A lot of people don't realize, I'll, I'll go into it more later, but the Kennedys were both on the McClellan Committee, which in 57 was going after the mafia. So these weren't like allies turned enemies. These were always enemies, which is what makes it for me for me harder to believe about the election thing. I'm not saying that it's impossible, and I'll go into some of the stuff that the the, the mafia podcast said about it, but I just think that it's unlikely that, one, if the mafia did it, I don't think they influenced the outcome of the election. I think he still would have won. You know, he, uh, Giancana had a lot of control over Cook County and a lot of the outlying areas, but JFK was carrying a lot of Chicago. That was the important one. Without Chicago, you couldn't win. It didn't matter what the mafia controlled. Right. So I mean, that's, that's he needed something
1: yeah. that yeah, you, you're not going to be able to prove one way or the other. It's just he yeah, he might have thought he helped.
2: Exactly. Or or even, yeah, or even it was, you know, he wronged. might have. Exactly. Yeah, I think that there's just so much interpretation and it's so much, you know, even with the people on the podcast, we're just saying, well, that's my my opinion. Right. It's so like, well, that's great, but that doesn't really prove anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And then, you know, to go back to the New Orleans for a second, you know, I just did a show with, with Doug a couple weeks ago where we were talking about Thomas Beckham and and, and his HSCA testimony and all that. And him implicating Carlos Marcelo as being, you know, part of that whole deal that he described down there, which is interesting because, you know, when you think about the assassination for a second, you know, if you're going to pay, I mean, assassins to murder the president in broad daylight in the middle of a... Big city. Either they're going to do it out of ideal for ideological purposes, you know. Either they're going to do it for ideological purposes and conviction, or they're going to do it for money. One or the other, you know. Um, and here's the thing: who was capable of financing? an operation like this and that leaves very few suspects you know what i'm saying
2: yeah yeah for for it to be more than yeah than just a ragtag sort of a plot i agree and um if you want to go a little bit into uh, into giancona's background then we can jump around to some of the others sure let's do it um so uh let me give everybody uh a real quick biography. So to familiarize everyone with the individual – these individuals were discussing, I thought I'd offer some background subjects on Giancana. Uh, I thought we could also discuss a few of the enduring claims. So Sam Momo Giancana was born Jalormo Salvatore Giancana during 1908 in Chicago, Illinois. His parents were Sicilian immigrants, and the family lived in the slums of Chicago's west side. After a childhood spent in local gangs, acting as a minor courier for local gangsters associated with Al Capone, he eventually rose to the lowest rungs of the criminal underworld. He reportedly graduated to grand theft and murder before he was 20, but was never convicted of those crimes, and this would affirm those who noted his savage temper and his antisocial behavior. During the 1930s, Sam married his wife and they had three kids, and due to the weakening of Al Capone's control of the Chicago Mafia, opportunities began to emerge that allowed Giancana to rise in its ranks. He, via intimidation and murder, expanded his control of the gambling rackets and was a millionaire in the 1940s. He became mafia boss of Chicago in the 1950s and assumed near total control of most criminal operations, from rackets to narcotics. In 1957, the McClellan Committee was investigating the connection between the mafia and labor unions. Among the members of the committee were Senator John F. Kennedy and Department of Justice Attorney Robert F. Kennedy. The two Kennedys joined the committee members in grilling mafia leaders and associates on their illegal dealings. A notable exchange discussed in the Mafia podcast within Robert F. Kennedy and Giancana had the mafia leader laughing as he repeatedly asserted his Fifth Amendment rights to refuse to answer. Annoyed at this obvious attempt to stonewall the committee, Robert F. Kennedy questioned Giancana laughing and told him that only little girls giggle – Seeking to incite Giancana's notorious temper, however, Giancana resisted and kept his composure. Now that I hear, a lot of people often cite that one as you know proof <laughs> that Giancana was directly involved, which I don't think it is. But you definitely see the animosity between the two of them, right? Yeah. So, so I think that, and and it, it's it's interesting theater. I mean, you, you you don't see that. In, Rarely. You see you know, something so direct where there's an official directly trying to get them in front of everybody, in front of the cameras in the world. Yeah. Uh, so now something a lot of people don't know about is the FBI had begun a surveillance campaign, an illegal one in some cases at the time, uh, on Giancana at the Armory Lounge from 1959 until the mid-1960s. So during the Eisenhower administration in 1960, Robert Mayhew contacted mafia fixer and hitman Johnny Roselli, and other Central Intelligence Agency officials contacted Chicago mafia leader Sam Giancana and Tampa mafia leader Santos Traficante. Fidel Castro was a common enemy of the U.S. government, and the mafia and some of the CIA believed that the criminal syndicate was a useful tool in dealing with him. Having designed general assassination plots a year prior, the agency sought to use criminals who could assume the blame for the official agenda. However, the mafia leaders were not as eager to sacrifice their own people and suggested other means of killing Castro. After a series of failed attempts, the agency ceased contact with the mafia, and all the mafia leaders except Johnny Roselli. The entire matter would be a cause of great concern years later to Attorney Robert F. Kennedy, uh, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy when the FBI revealed it. To him, so I think that is definitely a big that is a verifiable connection. I'm not I'm saying sure. that that, yeah. that that equates, you know, because I, I don't necessarily think that the mafia is directly involved for the plotting and other things we'll go into. But I think that at least we can verify there is a definite connection between the CIA that the CIA initiated foolishly, in my opinion. And this is what one of the reasons why I'm so hesitant, you know, because you always hear people say, "Well, it had to be the CIA, it had to be the mafia." No, it didn't. But because they were doing these peripheral operations, because they wanted to kill Castro so bad and were making these bad judgments, they allowed themselves to be linked with the criminal syndicate. If anything happened as a result of that, they're linked. Not necessarily that they were willingly part of it, but if they trained these mobsters or if they gave them the information they needed to get it done, then in some ways they are responsible, not by their own will, but by having that link to them. Or even the
1: suggestion to, yeah. to get involved and do something about it, because when we talk about each of these mafia leaders, they all had their own reasons for wanting the Kennedys out of the picture.
2: Mm-hmm. The question is, yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's because one of the things that uh, G. Robert Blakey, who is the former uh, lead counsel for the House Select Committee on Assassination, says in the Mafia podcast is that um, you know they. They had planned to do it – they had had a discussion prior about possibly killing off Kennedy, but they decided not to do it because of the heat. And that's something I think we always have to balance out is what was going on at the time. Are the circumstances – is there already so much attention on them? Are they going to risk even more? Should things fail too, are they going to risk having their entire life destroyed and their empires taken away?
1: Yeah, but I think either way would give either side plausible deniability based on who they would use – yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, they could have, because I mean, look, guys like James the, I... Files claim mafia connections. Yeah. But, you know, if, 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 and this is a big, big, huge mother effing if James Files was on the Grassy Knoll shooting and he got caught that day and he tried to say, well, yeah, I, I know Chucky Nicoletti and I know Sam Giancana and I'm part of the organized crime, they would have been like, uh, sorry, dude, we don't know who the fuck you are. You know?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no. I, I I understand they totally deny, but like one of the things, like with Roselli, because Files tries to put Roselli there the day of that he went and had picked him up from the airport or whatever. Well, the problem with that is, is that you know we can track Roselli to being in California or Las Vegas on the twenty-second. Right. So Roselli wasn't there.
1: Yeah. Well, he's not the <laughs> only one who you... tries to put Roselli there.
2: Oh yeah, no. You can pull the string in a lot of myths. Yeah. On that because Roselli is not there. Sorry guys, and there's no there's no reason once again at and for our Nicoletti. You know, a lot of people try to put Nicoletti there. Well, unfortunately what they don't realize is that at the time Nicoletti was under investigation for a murder that happened in Chicago. So he wasn't leaving town. <laughs> right. He was being watched. So there's it, it and it doesn't make sense. Once again, you know, you you don't use famous or infamous people to do this. You know, you might use someone who is evil and a killer and everything, but you probably don't want to use the top guys who are known to so many people, especially when some of the shirts
1: is going on. Those guys are not going to risk getting their hands dirty when they can easily tell somebody else, here's what I need you to do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's going to be a a largely nameless, faceless person that can be expended easily afterwards that nobody's going to miss. Those are the sorts of person you know for you know people always talk about of the best shooters in the world. I don't think they would have used the best shooters in the world. I think they would have used the fourth best someone who could get the job done. But wasn't really well known. Exactly. Anyway so jumping back into the yeah. So the FBI uh, was was monitoring Giancana at the time from basically his base in Chicago at the Armory Lounge. And so they had. They were plotting, and some of the uh, evidence that I'm going to send to Rob that he can include with it is, uh, you know, I believe it's 20 maybe more documents that I gathered on the Castro plot. So if people want to get into it to actually look to see the interactions, who was involved. Yeah, it'll be in the uh, show notes, people. Uh, and so, but later on, that would concern Robert Kennedy. And I think that Hoover kind of held it over his head. That it, because it basically was started in the Eisenhower administration. This was Richard Nixon and Eisenhower's doing. The original, you know, giving the CIA the go-ahead to come up with a way to get rid of Castro. They wanted to get rid of Patrice Lumumba too, okay, but and they did. Up, well, they they helped facilitate. You Not know right. what I mean? Once yeah. <laughs> that's always the excuse. It's like, well, we didn't kill him ourselves. <laughs> right. We might have greased the wheels to get the thing done. But uh yeah, I think in that case, yeah, with Lumumba they just told his political enemy that he was plotting against him and let him take care of it. Right. So uh so additionally in nineteen sixty, while the FBI surveillance is going on, while the plotting with the mafia and the CIA is going on, John F. Kennedy is running for president in a close electoral contest. And this is another one of the big stories that uh you know a lot of people largely rely on for the Mafia idea. And I think that there are some problems with that because rumors have, you know, ever swirled that the alleged prohibition era connection of Joe Kennedy and Sam Giancana allowed the Kennedys via Frank Sinatra to steal the election for Kennedy. Yet the narrative used in such claims, I think, is flimsy, and it relies largely on the word of people who lied professionally. You know, we're largely relying on former criminals, and we're largely relying on People who, this is second and third hand accounts, basically. Right. Um, so, while well, I don't doubt such a meeting could have occurred, and Sinatra, Angie, and Kana might have sought to curry favor or protection from officials by interfering and aiding the Kennedy campaign, I don't believe it was their efforts that carried the day, like some people say, because some people say, you know, it was so close, they had to have the mafia. I don't believe that. I don't think that, and as you'll see, you'll see why in in, in a little bit. I'm I'm gonna hopefully it'll be new for most people that they might not have heard of at least this factor to the issue. Um, So I don't believe their efforts carried the day, but I don't support that John or Robert uh, Kennedy would have agreed to such a move. You know, they they put it on Joe because they know that it's almost impossible that JFK or RFK would have wanted to be associated with the mafia directly. Right. So you know, they're saying it's Joe and okay, so so Joe is, you know, definitely less ethical. So he's supposedly the one that's making this deal with him. But I think they would have I think even Joe Kennedy, he was a strategist. I mean, he did finance and largely help get his son elected. It was Joe Kennedy that basically helped him get elected. Without that huge war chest of money, yeah, he wouldn't have gotten elected. So I, mean, I quick think Kennedy Car Carmine. Goes, yeah.
1: Did you see the new movie Chappaquiddick that that came out recently?
2: No, did you? I did. How is it?
1: Uh not a very uh positive portrayal of Joe Kennedy during that time.
2: Yeah, uh, no, I have I've have yet to see a positive portrayal of Joe Kennedy. <laughs> I
1: mean, it was almost
2: like wow, uh, but yeah.
1: Um interesting movie for sure and um uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what the exact truth of what, what went on down there was, but it basically have... dealt with the aftermath. You know, basically how Teddy dealt with the aftermath of the situation and, you know, trying to cover it up and then having to face the music and, and all that. Mm-hmm. But it was a pretty good movie. I would recommend catching it on DVD
2: or something. Okay, yeah, no, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, and if it's, I mean, if if it's, Largely, you know, I mean, there's it's drama, so it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate. But if it's largely accurate, that's fine. You know, it's a drama. As long as they don't try to skew the facts, that's all I care about. Yeah. With no, Joe it's... Kennedy, yeah, there's a lot of questions. You're right, though, with Joe Kennedy. I mean, it's you know, you you got people ranging him from rum runner, which I don't necessarily agree with because there's a lot of evidence to show that. I would lean more towards the he was a dishonest Wall Street guy. <laughs> Yes. If I were to look for his dishonesty, it would be in the the business deals he made, rather than that he was, you know, some great big rum runner, you know, hanging out with mafia people. Yeah, and really, I guess
1: power hungry, for, you know, mm-hmm. through his children,
2: anyway. Yeah. Um.
1: God, for sure.
2: Well, I think he realized that he had politically, you know, destroyed himself so badly with some of his moves in trying to help appease Hitler overseas. That he knew that he would never get elected. Yeah, it's just crazy so.
1: that that you know one man would have these four sons that that rose to such great things. I mean, Joe, mm-hmm. of course, Joe Jr.
2: Yeah, yeah, he was on know, his Joe, way too.
1: He was on his way too, but you know he got taken out, and then you, JFK, RFK, and, and Teddy, and yeah, it was it's crazy. But the way they the, the way they portrayed him in the movie was you know very you know. I'll take care of the situation. I mean, basically he was at this point in Teddy's life, I guess in the late sixties, Joe was, well, definitely chair bound. Um, Yeah. He had
2: the stroke by then, I think.
1: Yeah. He'd had the stroke by then. And, uh, but he could still back slap the shit out of Teddy. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you idiot. (laughs) Boom.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's good for a laugh. Did you ever see that movie, The Kennedys? That's another one that I think I don't necessarily agree with how they portrayed everything, but I thought it was a decent yeah. representation. Yeah, I mean, it's but
1: it's a, it's a crazy dynamic with that family for sure.
2: Yeah, well, the mom, yeah, like in that movie, you know, they show in the later years where the mom is basically trying to get revenge on him because yeah. of all the womanizing and all the things he did.
1: Just so much triumph and tragedy in one family. It's crazy. Yeah. Man.
2: Yeah, it is yeah, it is very much like a Greek tragedy overall everything that happens. But anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah but sorry yeah. Not no, I, you there. Oh, that oh no, that's fine. No, hey, it's it's all part of the, you know, part of the deal, man. <laughs> it's that's those are the, you know, the, the public impressions of history. <laughs> yeah. So, uh anyway, so so yeah, so we have those things all simultaneously going on. We've got the Castro plots going on, we've got the election going on, and we you know, we've got this big issue. So, I think that Giancana, another reason why it's questionable that he might even help them is that he was known to hold a grudge. But after his public treatment by Robert Kennedy, that grudge I would think was well-developed. And I'm not so sure that he would be inclined to use all his efforts to help men who publicly incited and questioned him. And I doubt that Giancana was foolish enough to believe they'd actually hold up a bargain with him that could never be proven.
1: Right, and then you have all the business with uh, Judith, what was her name,
2: Judith Exner? Judith Exner, Exner, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, so they're, yeah, they might be, I've heard it, people suggest that it was Giancana that, like, pursued her because he wanted a connection with JFK, but to me that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, he could have any woman he wanted at the time because of his status and his, you know, being as rich and powerful as he was, so.
1: Right. I'm, I'm just saying that he might have been a little salty when he found out
2: that... Yeah, he got mad. Well, that's why, yeah, I think I, I think that that served two things. You're right about the, the bugging when the CIA got caught and the Department of Justice later on had to drop that case because they didn't want to make any connections with the mafia. But I think that he did that for two reasons. I think, one, he was mad about the girlfriend, about, oh, yeah. uh, what was it, Dan Rowan from uh, Laughing, uh, that he might have been sleeping with one of the, his girlfriends. And I think that so he wanted him bugged, but I think the other reason was is because it also is blackmail material in the government.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: So um, so the the Mafia podcast uh, repeated the long-held assertion that the Mafia was a pivotal part of the Kennedy win, and this is later used as part of a motive for the Mafia to seek revenge when Robert Kennedy comes after them. The allegation is Gene kind of helped the Kennedy... Uh, Kennedy get elected in Chicago and the surrounding areas of Illinois, however, the Kennedys already had substantial resources, and the daily pla and the, sorry the not daily, the daily political machine of Chicago was already their ally so just these two factors, I think, were the overwhelming portion of the successful campaign. There never has yet been offered verifiable proof of these claims, but they largely rest upon assumptions in my view, and I think another reason I highly doubt. The vast plot of vote influencing would succeed without being exposed is because despite President Eisenhower and Richard Nixon trying to you know, calm Republicans, others refused to be calm about it and disputed the election's outcome. Nixon's allies uh, pressed uh, – for instance, uh, one of his allies was a guy named Earl Mazzo who was a media ally, and he alleged suspicious incidents in the New York Herald Tribune. And the press also began to launch public claims of suspicion. You know, we've seen this in the last couple of elections oh, where yeah, people don't sure. want to give up right away. They want to fight it publicly. So at the time, one media outlet stated that the election uh, challenges to Kennedy's victories were due to, quote, Republicans making a veritable crusade of undoing the results. Even if the public challenges ultimately failed, party leaders figured they could taint the Kennedy victory, claim he had no mandate for his agenda, galvanize the rank and file, and have winning issue for the upcoming elections. Three days following the election, Republican Senator Thurston Morton launched bids for recounts and investigations in 11 different states. Just over a week later, Nixon aides were dispatched to conduct investigations of voter irregularities in most of those locations. So that's something you never hear about.
1: Right.
2: That yeah. this wasn't Absolutely. just, you know, so everybody wasn't just like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's the way it goes. No, this was opposed from the get-go. And if there were all these vast irregularities that people talk about trying to attribute them to the mafia, they would have come up. <laughs> Somebody might have noticed them. <laughs> right. So I think that um, it seems a possible serious challenge to the election was mounting, and the Republican Party was able to actually form grand juries. They involved the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, and investigations were launched. The results of all those investigations by states and federal officials turned up no major errors or irregularities that would change the overall results. The Republicans' legal suits in Texas and Illinois, which were the two most disputed, the largest prizes electorally— were dismissed. They launched lawsuits in both states and both got dismissed. So I don't, yeah. And uh, when the dust from all these accusations and the investigation settled, even the claims of the counties Giancana could influence did not provide the major reversals required, nor were any massive effort to rig the vote detected. So I think it's possible Sam. okay, so Sam Giancana, yes, he could have influenced those counties, but could he have influenced those counties with no trace of anything, could he have influenced those counties and orchestrated all that to happen with all those different people and nobody said a thing? I don't think that's possible.
1: Well, I mean, you know how you can plant a seed or plant yeah. several seeds.
2: Well, yeah, you want it to go a certain way, and, and I think that that's possible, but Probably, I, I don't you know, he was... Spread the
1: word, you
2: know, da 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 yeah. da Oh, yeah. Well, no. But what I'm saying, though, is that now we have a third party – it's not right. just Giancana versus the normal system. It's Giancana, the system, trying to protect itself, and now the Republicans trying to reverse the vote. Right. So if they can link the Kennedys with the mafia, <laughs> yeah. they're they going to do it. Yeah. So I, I, don't think, I, I, don't think, I don't think Giancana was that savvy to have – even if he planted a seed, I don't think the people he had on the ground were smart enough. Or had the ability to launch such a large conspiracy politically without getting caught, I mean, you had arrests, and we knew Da was corrupt daily was corrupt, yeah but I, I just, like i said i don 't think if, if it did happen, I think it was a minor thing, and I think that it wasn't the big major thing or pivotal as a lot of people try to paint it and i don 't think it's enough to be a motive to want you know uh, did, did they really you know like I said earlier. Did a Mafia Don, who is very wily and uh, I would assume cunning to rise to the top of the Mafia, really think he was going to rely on the word of a singer's friend who is a politician? I mean, Joe Kennedy was noted to be uh, untrustworthy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just don't think that Giancana was going to take it seriously. Anyway. Right.
1: Uh, so, let, let, let's jump to the uh, the other thing about Giancana that makes him suspicious, and that would be his death
2: and the timing. Oh yes, no, no. I, I see. That's where I I actually agree. I think with at least some of what the Mafia podcast said and what we've discussed about it before. I I don't believe in the you know as we've gone over with the beep beep Richie episode. I don't, and I don't think you do either. in the I don't believe in the massive list of suspicious deaths. Right. Where but. they're just killing – yeah. But I, but I think there are, at least in my opinion, five that would qualify. I think the biggest thing for us to put anyone on a suspicious death list that unfortunately a lot of people don't follow is it should be a murder. It should be an obvious murder in most cases. Right. And the problem is with a lot of the suspicious deaths is it's not. You know, it's lone accidents, it's things that could be considered suspicious, but there is no other evidence to support that they're suspicious. So you're just guessing. And unless you have a coroner's report and you can show reasons why it's wrong, I'm going to have to go with the coroner. Right. So, but for Giancana, uh, there's there's so much suspicion to be had. I can't understand why anyone would think <laughs> that it's not related in some way. <laughs> So the thing is, uh, you know, for those who don't know the story, Giancana was murdered inside of his uh, house slash compound in the basement while he was cooking. He obviously knew whoever his murderer was because he let them in and they were alone. He turned around to start cooking. The person shot him in the head and then shot him repeatedly in the mouth, which is usually a Sicilian calling card for someone who talked who shouldn't have. Right uh Giancana ha- was due to testify to Congress again about criminal acts and questions about the JFK case. Right. Anyway, that is yeah, that is that is what largely was assumed to be on the docket. And he was murdered, you know, shortly before then, days before I believe, maybe a week. But so that definitely is suspicious.
1: Yeah, now, and I would the... also say that one of another one of your probably five suspect deaths surrounding this would have to be Johnny Rosselli as well.
2: Yep. Um, Yeah. Finding him dismembered in a floating in the bay in Florida.
1: Yeah. I have a, I have an article here from 1977. (laughs) It says shortly after Johnny Rosselli testified before a Senate committee that he had participated in CIA plots to kill Castro, a Washington friend asked him if he wasn't afraid for his life the 70-year-old mafia figure appeared unconcerned. Who'd want to kill an old man like me, he asked, before he was fished out of a 55-gallon oil drum from Dumbfounding Bay and found Mr. Roselli's body stuffed inside. There was no shortage of suspects ranging from the CIA to Cuban agents or the mafia itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: Well, one of the a little just... In- Interesting, you know. Side note about Roselli was he had always told his his sister that if he went missing, to go looking for him in an airport parking lot. And they went to an airport parking lot, and that's actually where they found his car because that's what the mafia would do. Right, you wouldn't you wouldn't find a car usually for a while if they just parked it in long term parking and left it.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, and he, you know, he did actually testify. So that's that's a little different between um Giancana and Roselli. G- Roselli actually got to testify. Um
2: And Yeah, and 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 it is I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say and and it is it once again, you know, we get to that Gordian knot of different possibilities. It's it's either perhaps a connection to political assassinations, being Castro or JFK, perhaps it's a connection to his criminal past. Why he was killed, I suppose, you know, that is – but it's definitely a suspicious death. It definitely qualifies. It's, you know, it's those, you know, in in the 1980s supposed suspicious deaths (laughs) (laughs) when they've just had so long and there was – like with Roselli. I don't think if Roselli was going to testify, he probably would have been killed at that time. He might have been killed later. Right. But I don't think he necessarily would have been killed at that time if he wasn't eminently going to possibly reveal something. And to me, that's not that doesn't reek of CIA because I would think the CIA, you know, which goes back into just all what the reasons why I doubt you know Lyndon Johnson had anything to do with it, and a lot of other the major people that try to claim had anything to do with it. There's a lot easier ways to do this than public executions. Right. Public execution to me means an emotional attachment. It means there's a message being sent. And that's why I think this case becomes so difficult is because that opens all of the suspects because you've got like this mafia podcast that basically tries to encapsulate it within just Giancana, just Marcelo, just Traficante. It had to have been those three. But when you really look at it, the, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Then you've got all the Cuban exiles and their leaders. Then you've got all the associated criminals, people like Beckham and others. You've got paramilitary people. There's there's just such a wide swath of possibilities, and they're all interconnected and overlaid on top of each other.
1: Yeah. Now, also in this article, there was another, I guess, viewpoint as, as far as why Giancana was killed, and it says this. Mr. Giancana was killed because he tried to reassert his authority in Chicago after a 10-year absence. Sam thought nothing had changed, but everything had changed, the mafia figure said. The task of killing Roselli proved difficult because he was a cautious man. Nevertheless, his pursuers were persistent. They would watch his movements for a couple of weeks, leave him alone for a few months, then go back and watch him some more. The mafia figure said, Roselli was careful, but nobody can be that careful. When the decision is made to hit you, you're dead, no matter how long it takes." So,
2: yeah, I that and I don't think that is definitely within the realm of possibility for both of them. With Giancana, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because that is one of the one of the big problems that was going on is even after he had basically been shunted out as boss and went down to Mexico, he was still trying to influence things with Richard Kane and other people that he had, you know, that that he should have left alone if he was really retiring. I mean, he was basically forced into retirement.
1: Yeah, and further on in this article, um, when they're talking about when the mafia was watching him, Roselli, that is says the only known instances where he deviated from his pattern, according to Miami authorities, were when he had dinner with Santos Traficante Jr., mm-hmm. boss of Mafia Rackets in Florida, and the one major underworld figure with whom Mr. Roselli maintained close contact in his last years. We yeah. dined together for the last time at the Landings Restaurant in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, on july sixteenth, twelve days before Roselli was murdered. But the police believe it was a member of the trafficante organization who was able to lure Mr. Roselli to his death.
2: I I don't doubt that either. And then something that's interesting, uh, I'll have to – I'll find the article and I'll I'll add it and throw it into the the references. But I have – I did a little bit of digging into that area, and that is true. He did meet and have dinner with Roselli roughly around, and he still was in contact with him. But the – Uh, One of the problems that police ran into when they were investigating Roselli's death is there were actually possible suspects that were Cuban exiles, which would have had another association with Traficante.
1: Right. Let me let me add this from this. Okay, they're interviewing an unnamed mafia figure Okay, Mm -hmm. for this story. And it says on July 28th, Roselli and his sister ate late brunch. Then at 1250, he left in her car a silver 75 Chevy Impala. He gave no hint of having an appointment, and she assumed he would be back soon. What happened then was described by the unnamed mafia figure. Mr. Roselli drove to a marina and went aboard a private boat where he was received by two men, one an old friend and the other a visitor from Chicago. The boat put off, and a third man on shore drove the Roselli car to the Miami International Airport, where it was later found. While Mr. Roselli was sipping a glass of vodka, the man from Chicago grabbed him from behind and held his hand tightly over Roselli's nose and mouth until he was asphyxiated. Not a difficult feat because Roselli had emphysema. Within an hour after he got on the boat, he was dead, the mafia figure said. Aboard the boat was an empty metal drum uh, with a number of holes cut in it so it would fill with water and sink. The body was then stuffed into a drum. A cannon washcloth was taped tightly over Roselli's mouth to make sure he was dead. Then his legs were sawed off so that the body could be stuffed into the drum. To lift the body into the oil drum, the men tied a rope around his neck and stuck a toe hook into each side of his abdomen just under the ribs. While one man hoisted the body with the rope, the other lifted with the two hooks. And when the torso was finally lowered into the drum, the legs were stuffed in around it and heavy chains were laced through the holes in the drum around the body and over the lid of the drum. But the drum had not been weighted enough, and ten days later three fishermen spotted it on the edge of a sandbar beside a twenty foot or a twenty eight foot deep canal. They suspected a body might be inside and called the police. The murder was the final step in a long slide for mister Roselli's zenith as the mafia's Las Vegas ambassador, an impeccably well dressed ladies man, who was deferred to by everyone on the Strip. So how is that for a murder?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roselli was definitely the point man, and he was the original person that Robert May, uh, Mayhew approached when they were first putting together the association. He was, you know, the one who brought uh, Giancana and Traficante to eventually meet other officials of the CIA at a hotel.
1: Yeah, Whew, that's craziness.
2: Yeah. So I definitely think he and Jim kind of both qualify. And those to me, I mean, yeah, it's the circumstances. It's the manner of death because it's much harder to prove, you know, that we've I'm sure we've gone over and talked about it a little bit. The only possible one that I think could possibly even be uh, one of the suspicious deaths that could be a suicide is to and, and I don't even necessarily think it took more than him killing himself. I just think that he was put in such a state and was so nervous and so fearful and so hysterical that he might've been scared into killing himself. And that to me is still suspicious. It's still people putting pressure on him. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Okay. So, uh, jumping back, um, now, yeah, now I want to talk about a whole bunch of different things, (laughs) but jumping back onto our topic, uh, the, uh, so for the, uh, one of the you know proponents in the, in the mafia thing that seems to definitely be have been a long term supporter of the mafia idea after the House Select Committee is Joe Robert Blakey, the former counsel. And I, I, do you care if I one real quick thing? I just wanted to throw in more about the election. No, go ahead. Uh, Blakey said that he believes Sinatra helped uh, that Frank Sinatra was the point man between Joe Kennedy and, which makes sense. He was friends with you know. With John, like I'm saying, it's possible. I just don't think it definitely has the weight if it happened that people have put on it. And I think that uh, I think Sinatra might have helped him, but I think once again, you know, you've got you got people that aren't necessarily going to be the most reliable in getting this stuff done. So I think notably, it's the Republicans, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the FBI investigations that were ongoing. That another thing that bothered me is the Armory Lounge. They have it bugged, but Giancana never mentions anything in his base when he. Doesn't know that it's bugged. Well, I mean, it's all possible. You know, a lot of I, I'm these not These guys probably
1: had an idea that, you know, their place was bugged.
2: I think sometimes, but I think with that one, they caught him on other stuff via that one, I believe. So I don't think he was, he knew right, right then. I think he might have learned in the later 60s it was bugged, but I don't think he knew in 59 and 60.
1: Yeah, it's possible. It's possible.
2: Yeah. So, um, I also think, uh, well, one of the reasons – and one of the reasons why you know, is people might say, well, then if the FBI had the information, why didn't they expose it? And I would say that I would think that's because they had illegally gathered a lot of it <laughs> is why the FBI wouldn't expose it. But I think the Republicans would have, and I think they're they're the biggest problem in that idea. Yeah. So another one – another reason why I think that uh, you know people have tried to suggest that the mafia were responsible for the failure of the Bay of Pigs, and I think that that definitely is a possibility – but probably less so for the mafia, more for the exiles. That the exiles were the ones who really lost out on that, even though the mafia did lose, you know, roughly eventually what would be billions on all of their casinos and all of their holdings that they lost. Yeah. Um. But one of the one of the problems I had with the the mafia podcast was they said that JFK promised air support and then denied it. JFK never promised air support. That's that's one of the things that maybe has just been changed over time just people retelling the story but they jfk didn't want any u.s troops used or at least he wanted them hidden having any sort of association even with training with the u.s because he knew that that could spark a war
1: yeah i think the generals might have promised air support
2: yeah exactly i could see that happening yeah so um uh another one of the problems uh, with the mafia killing JFK to get uh, one of the things that they offered, you know, was it might be a way to get rid of Robert F. Kennedy. But I think that in the wake of a tragedy, as we did see happen, the new president was not just going to fire all the appointments made by JFK, and that would include their greatest enemy, RFK.
1: Right.
2: And, you know, I think Bobby Kennedy, as we know, he did serve in the Johnson administration for a time. He eventually had to leave because him and Johnson could never get along. But. but- it did. I would
1: breaks on Kennedy going after it, the mafia.
2: It that that is true. It slowed him down. So and he definitely you know just just his mental state, because some of his advisors were talking about how he felt like you know he was so depressed and he didn't really want to do anything. Right. So yeah, I definitely yeah. No matter what happened, that definitely yeah. It did it did neutralize him in that way. I you know it slowed down his prosecutions. Um. But I think that that's why they might have had a part of it. I just don't necessarily think that they were the prime mover,
1: right?
2: You know, they they knew that they could benefit from it, but I think to a smaller extent is what they would have you know been in charge of. So uh, I would also note that Giancana was very cunning and had climbed to the heights of a criminal empire. So you know, we we should factor in that. It, I, I just don't think it's you know it's such an easy proposition as people have tried to make it. Um, well, let's talk so, about another. Uh, yeah, I was going to actually jump to the House uh, Select Committee if you want to.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I was just going to mention real quick, um, we were talking about Bobby Kennedy, you know, being a thorn mm-hmm. in the side of the mafia. Yeah. He, he was a very big thorn in the side to Carlos Marcello. Oh, yes. Um, trying to have him deported. You know, he, he was, in fact, in court on November 22nd, 1963, fighting deportation
2: and that to me yeah that to me i think i think that is a double edged sword that this idea that the, the that uh suspecting the mafia because okay so some people would say okay well that gives him a motive to want to do it but what that also does is focus a huge amount of public attention on him
1: yeah and so we also have that quote okay what what's
2: what's that quote uh yeah to cut the dog's
1: head off and the yeah. tail starts yeah. wagging yeah
2: yeah yeah But once again, unsourced. (laughs) Right. People say he said it. (laughs) And that's the whole problem, I think, largely in dealing with any of these. I don't think it was a lot of the big figures because the big figures, I mean, that's just the natural evolution of the story. But over time, you know, people add in all this mystique and, you know, the drama, the high drama that you saw between, you know, Giancana and Kennedy. I think they try to add it to all these various characters. And it sounds really awesome if he said something like that. But no one really can pin down when he said it or where he said it.
1: Yeah, I just think a lot of the mystique comes from, okay, these guys were rich,
2: powerful, Mm -hmm.
1: and they were being fucked with hardcore by the Kennedys. Oh, yeah. And for them not to meet or come to some kind of a consensus to say, okay, let's do something about this shit already.
2: Enough is enough. You know? I think they were though. I think I mean, and I understand. I'm not saying you know this, that isn't usually the selection of most mobsters, but I think that they realized they were in a precarious position, especially Marcello, because Marcello he got, uh, you know Kennedy didn't just try to deport him. He succeeded once. I mean, it eventually got overturned, and he was allowed to stay. He didn't have to leave permanently. But they dragged because I, I can't remember if it was Guatemala. It was a, a South American country. I, it might have been Guatemala. But Marcello Led said David that
1: he Ferry was very allegedly go pick him up, and bring him back.
2: Oh, that's what people say. I think somebody did definitely, but yeah, they they actually seized him. What they did is they waited for him to go to a parole meet his parole officer, and then two federal agents grabbed him, threw him into a truck, and dropped him, off threw him the onto a plane, a yeah, exactly, I mean, and then dropped him into the jungle with his yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean that that would piss me off, you know. Oh yeah,
2: oh yeah. Talk about being inconvenienced, and then trying to have to find your way back with you know no identification. Nothing valid. They're saying you're, you're a citizen of that country. You shouldn't be in the United States. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure I mean, that that –
1: Imagine t- you're a mafia, Don, and you take that kind of humiliation. The
2: total greatest – yeah, disrespect, oh. which is – yeah, like I said, I think – I definitely think they have motives to be involved. But I think the timing makes it less likely that they were going to definitely do something where it would be directly come back on them. You know what I mean? Right. Because, I'm just saying, yeah.
1: it's not out of the realm of possibility No. That oh no. the
2: money – yeah. came from these
1: guys to facilitate Definitely. the job.
2: Even you know? even if – you know what? I wouldn't even rule out – I'd say that it's even possible for them to have a direct hand in some of the action. I just don't think that they were the prime movers in the assassination.
1: No, you I know? think it was an yeah. idea that was a consensus between a lot of parties, and it was just agreed upon to possibly – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Compartmentalize certain aspects of things as far as like, okay, acquiring shooters, financing things, uh, like, uh, only things, and, and all this and that and the other, you know?
2: And necessarily, you know, like I said, it could be, it can be, I, I, it's got to be to a certain part compartmentalized and it has to be a, a small group overall. But yeah, who knew and who didn't? Who was used wittingly, who was used unwittingly? Because I, uh,
1: I think a lot of the planning For this and involving the use of Lee Harvey Oswald in this conspiracy happened in New Orleans.
2: It's possible. And,
1: you know, when you think about what was going on then, you think about the people that he had around him. And I mean, who knows if Beckham was telling the truth, but if Beckham was telling the truth, you know, he curried. Plans and photos to Dallas from that he obtained from G. Ray Gill's office, who was Marcelo's lawyer, and there was a representative from the Marcelo family there. One of his one of his nephews or his sons, Victor. And this is what Beckham is saying. So, is it out of the realm of possibility that somehow, you know, the financing came from this? If Beckham can be trusted and is telling his truth. Which I don't know why he would lie. No oh, attention, money. Story. Yeah, but he didn't get it.
2: Oh yeah, no, no, I understand that. But I mean, we've seen that with people like David Lewis and others too. I'm not, I'm not ruling out Beckham because you know I know yeah, something I just, about him, but you know a lot more about him. But I, I just think we have to be very skeptical.
1: Yeah, I just think it's funny that you know for the the Garrison Grand Jury he he didn't say a word when everybody is still alive and around. And mm-hmm. then for the HSCA, his,
2: um, what's it called? Uh, for his. Was it security you know, testimony or immunized?
1: Immunized testimony. He's going to mm-hmm. tell this fantastical, seemingly all of a sudden truthful thing. Okay. And nothing came of it. Nothing, nothing at all came of it. Now, Delsa, yeah, I must. Delsa wanted to dig deeper, but by then the funding had been cut off. And, you know, 30 years later, Beckham's going to write a book telling the exact same story.
2: Yeah. Well, and too, I mean, unfortunately with the HSCA, they kind of ran into the same problems. The other investigations did too many leads. And then you've got, you know, which ones are the verifiable ones. You've got people like Visiana and others just dropping whole cloth stuff in between things that actually happen. So they're trying to figure out what's true, what's not.
1: Yeah, I mean, cause, uh, look, I found a file from the HSCA from LJ Delsa of questions that he was going to ask Beckham, and there was, like, 50 questions in this file that he had lined up to to, to ask Beckham and question him on as a follow-up to, a, to his testimony. Never happened.
2: Yeah, and I guarantee that, the, unfortunately, that wasn't the only time in all these investigations.
1: Right, and nobody... Nobody would have heard about it until, you know, the '90s when some of the stuff started coming out. Mm-hmm. So I mean, his motives seem questionable about why he would say something like that. But
2: it's just, I don't know.
1: I've, well, I know no, and I'm not. It. Yeah,
2: I'm not, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. And that's and some what we're things he gets. Through,
1: yeah. He gets dead on right that we can prove.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and then the other stuff we have no way of pr- proving or disproving. So. He's an interesting character for sure. That's what keeps drawing me right back into that son of a bitch. But, uh, <laughs> and the fact that he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. And won't talk
2: now. So, well, same thing with, yeah, Richard Gibson. You know, same, I even found the thing with uh, uh, you know, the guy who uh, – uh, the, the pseudonym was uh, uh, Cassison, but uh, Jocks Richardson, the guy who considered using Oswald. He's alive in France. He's not going to respond. <laughs> uh-uh. no. But yeah, there's, there's just people who are actually definitely related to this case that would be easy just for the officials to ask a few questions or release a few things. But I think we've – it's only by chance that we've actually gotten the information we have in some cases. There's just so much. Even they can't know what's in everything. Right. right. So it's just about getting – anyway. So I'll, I'll jump back. Uh, anyway, so the, uh, the House Select Committee that G. Robert Blakey served as the chief counsel for determined on the basis of evidence available that President Kennedy had died as a result of a conspiracy. However, they were largely unable to prove who aided or used Oswald to do so. Additionally, the HSCA did not believe but could not rule out that the mafia or a criminal syndicate was responsible according to its prior report. The HSCA states, quote, the committee believed the National Syndicate of Organized Crime as a Group was not involved in the assassination, but evidence does not preclude this possibility. Thus, it's not unreasonable to support that the mafia played a role. However, that would not infer that they played the most pivotal role that includes the planning and execution of the assassination. In fact, the manner of the assassination is contrary to the overwhelmingly violent and obvious actions that usually characterize the criminal syndicate. The assassination, I would contend, more resembled a military or intelligence operation. First, the sniper or snipers were concealed, as where the mafia likes to find a suitable, expendable shooter that can be easily identified and blamed if they are seen undertaking the violent act. Instead, we have no definite – or no definitive evidence of that shooter, and this has left the enduring questions, and most criminal acts – are revealed long before decades have passed in a neat package to not attract undue attention to the Mafia's leaders. Additionally notable is the close similarities between the suggestions in uh, a study of assassination, which we've referred to as the assassination guide before on the show. And this CIA guide to assassinating people and the best weapons and dupes for use in an operation lines up rather closely with what actually occurred in Dealey Plaza. So when the CIA conspired with the mafia and Cuban exiles to kill Castro, these secrets might have slipped or even been taught to related individuals. And that expands the ability of various people to use the agency's tactics and, by virtue of this, connect more official groups to the matter, whether they had a direct hand in the events or not. So,
1: Have you, have you ever read Blakey's book, Fatal Hour?
2: No. How is it? I usually, like I said, I go to you and Chuck <laughs> – <laughs> to find out about most of these books, I'm usually just reading files.
1: Yeah, I I haven't read it. I was just I was just wondering, um if, yeah. if you had or not. Well he basically he lays out in more detail in his opinion, um the assassination of Kennedy by organized crime is what the subtitle's called. And he concludes that the president's murder was planned and carried out by Marcello and conspirators. It says their book lays out evidence that has been corroborated by additional sources and official records released in subsequent years.
2: Yeah, I, I'm sure he makes a decent case for it, too. It's just, to me, the the problem is, is that, okay, so, I mean, if you want to lo- look into the Marcello aspect of it, we do have early life connections of Marcello to Lee Harvey Oswald and his family. We do have uh Dutz his uncle Dutz uh Moret who was a low level bookie who right. was working, I believe, for Sam Saya, who was a lieutenant of Marcello. And we also I I don't know who was Saya or another gentleman, but we had a supposed, you know, alleged romantic relationship between Oswald's mother and a different Marcello uh gang member when they were younger. Right. So But those are basically the only two connections, and Oswald himself never really has any direct relation to any mafia people, nor besides Moret, is ever seen in the company of mafia people. So I think that's largely overblown in what a lot of people try to begin the story on. It's possible, but I just don't – you don't see people – they're going to be seen together, you know what I mean, especially when the lockstep FBI surveillance started to kick in not only on Giancana but Traficante, Roselli, and Marcello. You know, it wasn't going to be as easy with Marcello because Marcello was actually a little more wily than the others. But they're still going to see... At some point, Oswald would have been seen with criminals.
1: I mean, and you can jump over to Ruby, too. I mean...
2: See, that's that's where I'm totally behind a mafia plot. I'm all on board with Ruby being used because we can get the evidence for that.
1: Right. You know, because I mean, it says, you know, Ruby had... well. Ties to 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 Marcelo and, and Ruby yep. says and Giancana, yeah. yeah, and Joseph Campesi was one and of Marcelo's Trif- lieutenants.
2: Like you said earlier, too, Traficante. So yeah. we got Ruby all over and the board.
1: Possible yeah. possible ties to David Ferry.
2: Yeah, so, that's possible. But but I definitely think the others, I mean, we don't even need, you know, fairy and the the things we can't prove. We can prove that, you know, there's at least another person that, you know, I think isn't brought up very often that I talk about in my book is Meyer Lansky. When Ruby, the one time we can show for sure that he went to Cuba, that we can track that he was, you know, sent tickets and money by Lewis McWillie, who right. was, uh, you know, a pit boss and was a car dealer in uh, one of the Havana casinos that was owned by Meyer Lansky. And, or Lansky was one of the you know, main investors. And his brother, Jake Lansky, actually met with McWillie and Ruby while he was there on vacation. Yeah. So we know for sure that there's a link between him and one of the most powerful mobsters in history. Then you add in that we then have the possible likely links of him, Traficante being there, you know, linked back to Chicago with at least two hitmen that the commission found and just didn't make a big deal about, which would be to me a direct link with the mafia. <laughs> right. But if those two hitmen aren't good enough for you, then we've also got a link to Jake Lansky, we've got a link to McWillie, and the other mafia bosses. And his action to me definitely infers, um, I mean, as we know, People such as those who uh, support the official story have often tried to say, "Well, he was just, you know," they try to make the excuse, "Well, he, you know, he felt bad and wanted to avenge John Kennedy, or he was doing it for Jackie, he didn't want to have to go through." That's all ridiculous. There's no evidence of any of that. Ruby is not some patriot who decided, you know, "Well, today I'm going to go and kill this guy because it's the right thing to do." And you know, they say it was a crime of passion; it was an act. You know, he had to go do it, which isn't true either. Because if Ruby was acting as a man, you know, if it was a crime of passion, if he was just acting, he saw it and he couldn't take it anymore, he had seen Oswald multiple times. He impersonated a member of the press for the Friday night uh, press conference. So he could have killed him that whole day.
1: He could have killed him there. He could have got him in the hallway.
2: Yeah, he waited. He waited until he knew that there would be an opening and he could deliver a shot that hopefully would kill him. And he didn't want to hit anybody else. He had orders. He had to kill just Oswald
1: right which would lend credence to the theory okay well if the mafia is ordering Ruby to silence Oswald mm-hmm. what's the reason you,
2: well you know I know think what that, yeah to me I think it's a conglomerate plot that's why right. I my my yeah. idea is a conglomerate plot where you have either a rogue member of the military intelligence establishment or a former member working possibly with someone from the mafia or a Cuban exile leader and they, the Cuban exiles and the, you know, the military-style plot is likely due to military people, so they do all the planning, but they need it to not be connected to Oswald's death. So what do you do? You use the mafia to kill him because, it does, because who's going to believe that a military exile mafia plot happened? Right. That to me seems so much more improbable and so much more easier to hide because – and it's disjointed and it's compartmentalized. So there's only maybe a person or two in each group that would even have to know, and that's it. Nobody knows. You kill off who you have to kill off afterwards, the end.
1: Yeah, because you never know. If Oswald would have talked and named yeah. names, well, then they're going to go after these guys, and if they talk and they name names and then mm-hmm. they talk and they name names. Well, so it all needs to be cut off at Oswald. Ladder. yeah.
2: And, and then the we way have way. the FBI and the CIA obliging. 48 to 72 hours later from the documents that we've gone over, the FBI and the CIA were already closing the case. It was all Oswald the end because they didn't want to ask the bigger questions because they were so disturbing. Right.
1: Now, let me, let me uh, read this little thing to you. You ever read the book Mob Lawyer by Frank Regano?
2: I've read portions because yeah, I actually cited some of the stuff that he said, yeah.
1: Yeah, it revealed that he relayed a message in 1963 from Jimmy Hoffa to Carlos Marcello and Traficante, the mafia boss of Florida, urging the two mafia bosses to kill Kennedy. So this is coming from Hoffa, allegedly. Regano later revealed that four days before Traficante died, the mob boss admitted to Regano how he and Marcello organized
2: the murder of President Kennedy. Yeah, I heard that, eh, you know. Once again, it's possible, <laughs> but I, right. I really, like I said, I, I think that where we can find agreement with some of the things that the Mafia podcast was saying is in Ruby. Because Ruby to me seems clear, you know, I mean, people have just so much, for instance, one of the things that I know that I found that, you know, what something I was very happy to show to people who don't, Uh, support that a conspiracy is possible is Ruby was, J. Edgar Hoover lied to the Warren Commission and every other official, but Ruby was a very useless informant, but he was an FBI informant for a short time. right? So, that right there. You know, you've got them, I think what ultimately might have happened in this instance is uh, and it was actually, you know, talking to you and Chuck Ocelli and, you know, people like, you know, Bill Simpich and Larry Hancock and others trying to Tried to figure this out. I think what could have happened is, you know, because there's so much, there's so many, you know, aspersions of suspicion all over the place on all these different groups. I think it's possible that Oswald might have been unwittingly used by more than one official group. And then it was just a question of, okay, we might not have done this directly, but our fingerprints are on him. Right. And if anybody notices our fingerprints on him, they're going to think we did it. So we just need to bury everything. Under such a pile that no one will ever figure out what happened, and I think that's what. Because I mean, you know, you see when he's in Russia, you've got him running into Schneider, CIA, running into uh, CIA source McMillan Johnson. You've got him running in. You know, uh, Richard Gibson is CIA. You know, another CIA agent that's. telling people that he's one of us, he's one of the FPCC, you've got mobsters, you've just got, yeah, you've got all these people doing all these different things. And I think that once enough groups had touched him, all the groups basically agreed at the end, okay, well, it's just all got to be buried because we can't come out being connected to him.
1: Right. Which kind of figures into this theory. Um, Marcelo, Admitted his involvement to two other inmates during a fit of rage in a prison yard at the Federal Correction Institute in Texarkana, Texas, in 1985. Um, Marcelo bragged to prison cellmate and FBI enforcement, or FBI informant, sorry, Jack Van Lanningham and recorded on FBI wiretaps that he ordered the hit on Kennedy, masterminded the assassination, and planted red herrings to confuse the press, embarrass the FBI and CIA into suppressing evidence that would have revealed illegal covert U.S. operations in Cuba. Marcelo arranged for two hitmen to carry out the assassination after entering the United States from Canada and Europe, set up Oswald as the fall guy and ordered the subsequent murder of various conspirators, mobsters and witnesses who risked turning informant, including Roselli and Giancana, which seems like a little bit of a stretch, but you can see where I'm going with the, uh, You know, embarrassing the FBI and CIA into suppressing evidence that it would have revealed further plots.
2: Well, yeah, and we know that Giancana did that because of his direct involvement. With Marcello, I'm not so sure that he would have – that he even – because I don't think they used him for anything. So I think that could have been done by Giancana or Traficante. But a large – like another thing I wanted to mention about Giancana, which makes it – At the time, not only was Marcello involved in a legal fight with the American government, so was Giancana. Giancana said that the lockstep uh, surveillance of him in the summer of 63 was illegal, and it was a violation of his civil rights, and he eventually won the case. But they still followed him. So he had a a lot of attention on him too. The only person that really didn't have – I mean you know he still had people, uh, federal agents coming after him, but the only person that wasn't actively in a legal suit with him was Traficante. Right. So, I think that makes it more likely with, he might be a key person if we're looking at it. And he actually might have had the contact with Ruby. And, you know, he, Lansky is connected. Traficante seems to be the prime mover as far as the mafia goes, in besides Lansky, in Cuba. As where Giancana and Marcello are part of it, Traficante seems to be more the guy that has the connections with the Cuban exiles. He's the one who can speak Spanish. He's the one who's down there dealing with people. Yep. He just
1: happens to be in prison with guy who wiretaps embassies for the cia and uh you know these these what doug yeah those gunboat cowboys like lauren hall who was these extreme right wing
2: and anti... yeah the paramilitary sturgis guys like that
1: yeah. yeah you know he's got ties
2: to these guys and you know
1: there's a lot of time in prison to sit around and do a little planning and talking and who knows
2: you know. yeah yeah no i th- i think that you know, that's all possible, but I definitely, I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that they were the ones behind the assassination, but I do definitely support that they were the ones who used Ruby. And with Ruby, you know, people talk about, well, why would he do it? He could have voted a favor. You know, yeah, he, he, he probably didn't have, and say, hey, if
1: you yeah, don't do this, we're going to kill your sister.
2: Exactly. And and yeah. that to me makes a lot more sense than an overly intricate military style plot that the mob was responsible for.
1: Yeah. Tell him, Hey, you've had a good life. old Jack buddy. It's time to pay a piper.
2: Exactly. You You know, know. we need you to, we, no matter what happens, you need to kill this guy. Take your time, make sure it gets done. And that's it. And that I could have
1: even convinced his dumb ass that he would be, come out of this smelling like a a hero,
2: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or that he would have got off because the American public wouldn't have allowed him to be convicted.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I could see that happening. I
2: don't mm-hmm. think
1: Jack Ruby was the brightest bulb in the drawer. No. I mean, he was cunning for sure, but, you know, and, but I don't see him as, I could see him being easily convinced that, that he might have not went, you know, been put yeah. on death row for this, you know.
2: And, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, anyone that goes, has just a basic look at the evidence, you're going to see that that whole claim of he was doing it for America or for Jackie Kennedy is ridiculous. That's, he wasn't just some befuddled guy who decided he was going to make a difference that day. This is somebody who was acting under orders because if he was going to act on emotion, he would have just killed him. He didn't. He waited. He waited days. And if you're overcome with emotion, you can't wait days.
1: Yeah, <laughs> what, wasn't there even a tie with David Ferry and Jack Ruby through uh, – who was that guy in Chicago that was dating Gene Ace?
2: I don't know. I, I yeah. I didn't. I didn't know of any. I, I've heard mention, but I've. I, I don't know of anything related to the yeah, two of them. They were looking
1: notes. at Ferry's uh, phone records mm-hmm. and and Jack Ruby's phone records and noticed that they were both calling this number in Chicago. It was this woman's apartment, but the guy she oh, was okay. dating was using her apartment as like a you know his phone. Where he could be reached, I guess.
2: You mm-hmm. call well, it. I would think, too, that Ferry might have access to some of Marcello's contacts, just even, you know, as his, as the assistant in his case.
1: Right, and we know Ruby was going to to uh, New Orleans, you know, to, to get dancers, and I'm sure there was some kind of a little circuit going on, you know. Okay, you you know you put a girl in a club down there for two months, then you move her over to Texas yeah. for a couple months, then you bring her back to a different club in New Orleans. You know you know what I mean. And,
2: and yeah, and we definitely can prove, at the very least, that we have you know the the people that I would that I, I think definitely is much more telling is his association with the Campeses, that you know they are basically the leaders of the mafia locally in Dallas. And that's where they're, he they're...
1: last ate dinner the night before he shot Oswald.
2: And then the the day after he kills Oswald, one of the Campises comes and visits him in jail and has a private conversation with him that the police allow.
1: Right. Which is highly suspect.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It is strange that he would eat there the night before, and then they would come and visit the day after. (laughs) Yeah. And that, to me, smacks – that's where I would agree with Blakey. You know, he. a lot of people want to put the mafia on the main part of the plot, which I, I can't agree with. But for this, oh, yeah, this all smacks of a, a lovely setup where they used an expendable guy to get rid of another expendable guy. Yeah. And, you know, that's the best way, I think, too, to keep the plot. I think that if it were, a, you know, rogue official, Cuban exiles, paramilitary people, whoever exactly set up the plot and carried it out, the best way. To keep it from ever getting out is to then compartmentalize the plot to just you. And then you just set up via one other person who is either gotten rid of later or could keep their mouth shut to deal with the mafia and they take care of Ruby and nobody knows who's involved in either. So no one from either plot knows what's going on.
1: Right. And, and possibly, possibly Ruby was used for some things that, that happened in Dallas. Yeah, it's possible. You know, because he w- he did have a good in with a lot of the Dallas cops who frequented his establishment, and Ruby would and, kiss her ass, and, and I think drinks. that made him.
2: Yeah, you're right, and I think that that made him perfect Employed because there wives. weren't a lot of criminals. Yeah. Yeah, there weren't a lot that could operate so easily in police presence. Right. Even the commission found out that he had there. I believe they called it a a relationship that was greater than the average citizen. Because, I mean, he knew hundreds. Oh, yeah. I think it was something like 52. Yeah. He knew a lot of people on the police force and auxiliary officers. He even had one, I believe, was an auxiliary officer that did some bouncing for him at one of his clubs.
1: Yeah. And spoiler alert, uh, the next time me, your boy, is going to be on the Midnight Rider News Show in June... I'm going to be talking about this very subject. So make sure you tune into that and be looking for it,
2: folks. I'll definitely check it out. We'll, we'll get <laughs> it up on MG. But yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, and I, I totally agree with you. And I think we can agree with, you know, as where I disagree with some of the other things they said, I definitely agree. Ruby has all the makings of a mafia dupe, of just somebody who was told he was going to have to do something, be careful about it. Don't because I mean imagine if if he was the person that officials tried to paint him as he would have run in right away tried to shoot at Oswald and probably not killed him or probably right. you know when he when he brandished the gun right in front of everyone might have been wrestled away before he got anything done he needed he might have had some j- a
1: little nervous jitters you know
2: and
1: yeah he was putting it off until he just couldn't put it off anymore yeah because you know, he knew once he once once the county got a hold of him he'd be in county jail and that was that he didn't have any more Dallas police uh inns i guess you would say mm-hmm.
2: yeah well and uh, something that's always struck me as interesting that you and i have discussed before that i i think you know a lot of people might not be aware of is that in he had with the police which allowed him to actually get to oswald at that last moment before oswald was basically locked up and out of his reach he you know people always say how did he get into a secret side door all this stuff But according to the original testimony of Patrick Dean, one of the police officers that was there, he saw Ruby. He saw Ruby walk right past him, and he didn't say a thing because Ruby was always around. He had brought them sandwiches a couple days before. So Ruby just strolled right in, got into position, and that was it, and it was over. And then he just wouldn't open his mouth, which is another (laughs) trait of the mafia, usually back in that time anyway. Not anymore, but...
1: Right. You know, there was he hinted around at some things, you know, but yeah, he never did give up the mafia, so to speak.
2: Yeah. And and to me, that it makes a lot more sense for Ruby's use. And that also, like I said, compartmentalizing the plot in that way. I mean, what better way to keep a secret than even the people who are doing it? don't exactly know everything that's going on.
1: Yeah, and he even begged Earl Warren, look, get me out of Dallas, and I'll tell you everything you want to know. And they wouldn't do it. Nope. Because he knew if he opened his mouth in in jail, in prison, in Texas, (laughs) he was dead.
2: Yeah. I think, unfortunately, the commission lacked, and and, a lot of officials did, but unfortunately they lacked the imagination to understand what they might be dealing with. You know, they they really thought they had a handle on everything. And like I said, unfortunately were informed by people like the FBI and the CIA who had concluded in seventy two hours or less that it was just Oswald, let's move on.
1: Right. Yeah, or maybe they didn't even want to hear the truth at that
2: point, you know, because they yeah. knew where it
1: would lead. Bigger you know, questions. It yeah. would have opened up even more. A Pandora's box. Oh.
2: I mean, yeah, even Dulles, uh, that's the one thing, you know, for a lot of people try to paint Dulles as the mastermind, and I don't agree with that because of various reasons. But, but the thing I do agree with is the reason the Warren Commission was compromised and why, to me, I can't understand why anyone would say it wasn't is because of Alan Dulles, because he was the person who signed off on the original Castro plots. He was the one who opened Pandora's box and introduced the mafia into the situation,
1: yeah, and he knew all this, and he was the and only one say, that knew all this on the
2: commission. And didn't say a thing to the rest of the commissioners. So that's why when people always talk about evil, the war on is, I don't agree. I think a lot of those guys got used. I think a lot of those guys didn't realize – You know, Dulles was the only one who knew all that. So all the rest of those people had no ability to know that that was going on.
1: Right.
2: So I don't blame all of them for him lying. I blame him. <laughs> right.
1: All right, my friend. I think we're about an hour and a half into this. Is there anything we didn't get to that you wanted to hit on?
2: Well, I I think we covered, uh, you know, we talked about Marcello's background. We talked about, you know, um, the early life and some of the things with Giancana. And I think with Traficante, you know, we covered his – Cuban connections and everything down there. So I think we covered all of that. Hopefully, you know, everybody got some interesting information. Like I said, in the, the reference notes, I'm going to send to Rob to attach to it. Uh, there'll be the Castro plot. So if you really want to go deeper into there, there's, like I said, I think 15, 20 or more different documents, some of them from the new releases that people can go into and you can, you know, really get into it. You can see how closely linked (laughs) for a time, the mafia and the CIA were, uh, and no, I, I think we covered pretty much everything. you know, yeah, we went a little bit of everywhere. We went Johnny Roselli and like I said, I'm looking forward to to listening to see what you're saying that uh the next mafia one you do. Well
1: it's not necessarily mafia related, it's just Oh, okay. It's more Ruby of what of what Ruby was up to in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Well maybe, you know a
2: little bit of mafia related.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I think
1: <laughs> I think he might have been used for a couple other things that were maybe maybe not just silencing Oswald, you know. Yeah. But uh, like I said, I'll get into all that uh, in June on the Midnight Writer Show. So be looking out for that. So, Carmine, tell everybody where they can find your stuff again, my friend.
2: Uh, You can find everything at tpoc.com. You can find Neapolis Media Group with uh, links to my stuff and to Rob's stuff and all the members of Neapolis Media Group. Uh, You can find the Primary Evidence Collections. Uh, I added a new section, uh, updated it for MLK's 50th, so there's more information on MLK and an additional section there. And I'm going to be doing the same thing for RFK as his 50th is coming up. Uh, so yeah, tune in, listen to the shows. You can also find all the shows, like the Long Moon Podcast I've done on there, uh, under the author section. And the blog is updated uh, regularly, probably almost every week. So, and you can hopefully hear check our mind
1: just about every Thursday night on Ocelli.com.
2: Thanks, Rob. Yeah, and once in a while, I'll be going back. Uh, Rob uh, hooked me up with the people at Midnight Writer News, so I'll be doing another show there. Uh, but I have one that's on. Uh, you can find us on YouTube as well, and I have all those shows linked up on our YouTube from the Longarm Podcast and other places I've been.
1: Sweet. Well, my friend, always a pleasure to have you come on the show and and astound us with your vast knowledge of the <laughs> e- documents.
2: You're, it's you're too a kind. Pleasure. Yeah, I, I do. I do my best, my friend. I appreciate you, you having me back, and I hope everyone enjoyed themselves.
1: Well, I threw you a softball, but you didn't hit it. You just totally
2: missed it. why What was the softball?
1: You were supposed to say, "Ah, forget about it."
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. You get Perfect every time, huh? <laughs> Golly, day. Hey, Golly. this guy, this guy over here.
1: <laughs> there it is, folks. Carmine Savastano, we're talking the mafia. Thank you, Carmine.
2: Uh, well, Buona fortuna to all of our listeners.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that means good night.
2: And a lot of
1: money in your pocket, bitches.
2: Exactly. Good fortune all to right. you.
1: There's some bitches in the can, beam up to the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace.